Good evening. Welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and it is in the evening. I uh, am at my last day here at my job uh, until September, so this is the end of July. What is today? July 27th, I think. Uh, so I won't be coming here for about a month. Not until, I think, September 1st, maybe, when I come back. Uh, yeah, so I'm taking the month of August off. Uh, so this is my last trip for a month. Uh, but I didn't record on the way here. I decided to record on the way back, which is what I'm doing now. Going back home. Uh, so you have to play this... Uh, in reverse to get the gist of it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a little joke. Um, man, it has been an eventful week. Uh, last week we uh, moved our... So we have two businesses. One of them's an English school and we decided to uh, switch locations. So we had to pack up everything and uh, moved to a new location that took about four days last week Thursday Friday Saturday but really three days and then one day was a, a open house the Sunday so we had to be there and welcome students so they could see the new facilities and things like that uh, so that was all uh, all of our last week not to mention shopping for various things we thought we'd need in the new building and up upgrading things like chairs and tables and uh, things like that. So we were busy taking care of all of that last week and it was really hot. It was sunny, but it was really, really hot too. So it was just a tough, tough week, but we got her done. And then this week was uh, the last week of my college classes uh, until late in September. So got those uh, finals done. So I'm done with that. I just got to do my grades now. Submit, submit my grades, evaluate the students and whatnot. Pass a lot, fail a few. That's pretty much how it seems to go. Uh, and uh, my little brother came home this week and I'm so excited about that. I haven't really talked, I don't think, much about my little brother. So uh, when I was a kid, I know I've talked about this, when I was a kid, my parents uh, kind of as a ministry, they kept uh, foster kids for probably about 10 years when I was a kid. So we had something like 30 different kids in, in and out of our home while I was young. Uh, some older, some younger, some adults even. And uh, the last two foster kids we had in that system, we ended up adopting. Uh, one was a little beautiful two-month-old uh, baby boy, uh, my little brother Johnny, and then his brother Chris. Johnny was uh, born in 79, so he's a good 11 years, uh, 11 years younger than me. So he's just entered his 40s where I'm in my early 50s. But for the last 
really for most of the last 10 years, I'd say he's been uh, incarcerated in jail. And uh, he, he um, had a hard time as a, as a teenager. Uh, he, he was the only one left home while my parents were going through a divorce very sudden and unexpected divorce. Uh, he went with my mom and my dad wasn't around a whole lot because my dad remarried and had some kids of his own. And uh, he grew up without a fa father figure and I wasn't home very much of the time. I was still living in the States at the time that this happened. But right after it happened is when I uh, moved to Japan and so I wasn't there for him either uh, my sisters for the most part lived far away so it was really all my mom trying to take care of this teenage boy and I think she did the best she could but he I think he suffered a lot as a teen I think he was he was pretty much lost and started running around with a with a, a different crowd not to mention they just moved to that city so we really didn't have a much support or friends and there were a few people that stick out as really good friends that uh, have stuck with them and, and who uh, have loved him through all his trials uh, but just suffice it to say he he got out of prison uh, after eight years this time and I could not be happier. He, he, he went through such a transformation this last time that, you know, makes him almost unrecognizable from the person he was before. And it's, of course, he's got, you know, he's got the same personality and the same happy-go-lucky charm that he's always had. But he, he... He now takes responsibility for what uh, for what he's done, and and has done everything he could, and used every uh, opportunity that he had while in prison to turn his life around. And by all accounts, uh, that has happened. I mean, just a remarkable transformation. I could not be prouder of him. I really wanted to be home this year when he got out uh, so I could celebrate with him in, in, in person, but that just was not to be um, because of COVID uh, and the fact that Japanese laws of having to get vaccinated and everything or quarantined and not to mention my, my town has been taking forever. I don't even have a date set for my vaccination yet. Uh, so I, I couldn't have got it any earlier, even if I tried. So yeah, I haven't gotten vaccinated and because I'm not vaccinated, the quarantine, even with the vaccination right now, the laws are such that if I were to go to the States for a week, I'd come back and have to quarantine for two weeks. And that takes me out of too many classes and, uh, puts too much, uh, burden on my family. And I just could not go this time. I really need things to calm down to where I can visit. I really long to be there with them and 
give him a hug and welcome him home. You know, he's he's been a lot like his life has been a lot like the prodigal son, you know, in some ways. In some ways not, but um you know, the prodigal son is my favorite. I don't think I've maybe said that before, but it's my favorite of all the parables. And the more often I I take the time to focus on it, or the more the more I focus on it, the more I see uh, hidden deeply in its in its um, words and the situation. And it's a it's an incredibly dense. Um, parable just chock full of meaning and we're seeing this right so my brothers returned uh, and we all are reacting in different ways to his return right some of us uh, are just happy to see him and welcome him back with open arms some of us are more reluctant uh, and a little more guarded Right, because we've been hurt in the past by him, perhaps. Um, but the prodigal son is is less a story about the son and more more a story about the love of the father. It's not that it's either or. I think it's both. But but I think uh, as as evidenced by the title that we've chosen, the prodigal son. Uh, we have we have failed to really see that it's just as much a story about the love of the father right and 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 how the father loves us you know he he had two sons and both sons were stood to inherit he had an older son and the younger son the younger son demanded his inheritance all of it right away and then he left he left home so he got his inheritance and took off and Jesus tells the story that he he basically spent all of his money on on wild living in a foreign country so we went far away spent all that he had on the wild living and and he uh, had to excuse me he had to take a job basically the the way it sounds as a slave taking care of pigs and so he was a he was a pig farmer but uh, pretty much all he had to eat was what the pigs were eating so he ate with the pigs so he was he he was at rock bottom is kind of what the Bible gets at here even before I think people knew what rock bottom was I, I think Jesus described it very very well um, you know we see we see people hit rock bottom these days all the time, right? Quite publicly sometimes, where um, they commit horrible crimes or uh, they just demean themselves uh, of all human dignity uh, for survival. You know, whether it's people who are hooked on crack cocaine or uh, methamphetamine um, or, you know, alcoholics or whatever. Rock bottom is kind of a thing that we we witness in our world today because of media and video and you know all the ways we have to uh, to share in the experience that that people have. There are shows and movies and 
all kinds of things about it, books as well. But at the time, I, I don't know of any other situation that the Bible ever speaks about that where it, it actually describes this process of hit, hitting rock bottom. Certainly not as well as this, right? Where somebody goes to a foreign land, land and squanders everything, <clears throat> ignoring their upbringing uh, and the will of their father, um, their obligation to their family and all these things, right? So the brother just, he, he, he really commits the ultimate sin of a, fa of a son to a father, right? And, and after hitting rock bottom, he realizes that perhaps his dad will take him on as a, basically as a slave. At least, at least he can go back and beg, uh, even though that he would not be accepted as a son any longer, but that he would be accepted as uh, a slave. And that his life would be way better because his father treats the servants much, much better than he was being treated at the time. So at least he could go back and be a servant. And so he decides to return to his father's house and beg for his forgiveness and ask for the position of a servant in his father's house. Um, and as the story goes, he begins his journey back to his father. Now, he was in a foreign land. It must have been quite the undertaking. It's not... You know, it, it's not like he uh, hopped in a taxi and 10 minutes later he was there. We're, we're talking about a man who's half starved, uh, who's destitute and poor, having to trek across country back to his father's house. But he does it and he must have been in a horrible condition, right? But wouldn't you know it, his father his father is waiting for him to come home. So much so that he sees him coming far off and he recognizes his own son. I'm not sure the son would have recognized himself by this point, but the father knew just by seeing this person walking back to him from a distance, he knew that was his son. And he had been waiting there and looking day after day is the way I read this doesn't say explicitly, but how, how else is he going to just happen to see him the day he comes, right? He's been waiting for his son to return, hoping his son to return, looking forward to his son's return. And he doesn't wait at the house, up on his porch in his chair. No, he gets up and humbles himself, the father does, enough to run toward the sun, to meet the sun halfway. And the sun just, you know, he's got, he's got everything he's going to say, ready to say, right? He's, he's been thinking about this his whole journey, exactly what he's going to say. So he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, uh, and I don't deserve to be your son. Uh, but please make me as one of your hired hands, right? What does the father do? The father embraces him. He hugs him, puts his arms around this weary, 
basically homeless man who was once his son, who turned his back on everything the father had ever taught him. He throws his arms around the neck and he calls to his servants and, and, and says to get him new clothes uh, and, and to prepare food to kill the fattened calf, the, the calf that was that had been, you know, uh, ready for guests, special occasions for an upcoming festival, probably. Maybe something that they did every year or every several years, who knows. They've got a calf that they've been getting ready for a special occasion, but he decides to use it because he can't conceive of a more beautiful occasion than the homecoming of his lost son. And so he, <clears throat> excuse me, he orders his house to start getting ready to celebrate the return of his youngest son. Not only that, not only that, he gives him the robes and the ring, the ring which reinstates his sonhood. He's not going to take him back on as a hired hand. He's going to put him back in the position as if he'd never left. As if he'd never squandered all of his father's goods. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. I wish it, I wish it stopped there, right? There's a bit of an anticlimactic part. Because the father, if you remember, had two sons. The oldest son has been with his father the whole time. He's, he's the main heir, right? Uh, the main inheritor. Who has been working in his father's house. Slaving in his father's house. Always doing the right thing. Always being where he's supposed to do. Doing what he's supposed to do. He's the rule-following a personality type son right he never even thought about running off and doing things like this he's upset he's like haven't I always been with you father haven't I always done what you wanted me to do I've never left you and yet here this no for good no good for nothing, sorry. This good for nothing son, my younger brother has returned after squandering his entire inheritance and you're throwing him a party. You never gave me a party. You ne never gave me a party. Why are you giving him a party? I've been loyal to you. I've done what you told me to do. Where's my party? Uh, and so the, the son refuses to go in to the banquet to celebrate the return of his brother. And the father says, Son, everything I have is yours. Right? Everything I have is yours. But your brother has returned. 
right? He was lost, but now he's found. He's returned. Come and celebrate. <laughs> Sorry, got a little frog in my throat. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. I. If Hollywood wouldn't screw it up so bad, I'd love to see a movie of it. I mean, it's just... The beauty in it is indescribable. It's such an improbable ending, right? That the father would... So completely... Forgive his son to the point where really there's nothing to forgive and there never was. The way the father acts. He doesn't hold his son's sins against him. Not in the least. Well, we have these two brothers. One was never lost, but he's never known the love of the father. The other one lost all he had, lost himself, lost his identity, lost his status, lost his name. And yet he's, he's shown extravagant love by the Father. There's a book I read a while back and I've, I've talked about it called Orphan Slave Son. And it's basically the, the idea that there are three ways to have a relationship with God and that all people more or less fall into one of these categories. You're either an orphan, you have no idea who your father is, right? You don't belong to him nor any father, right? You're lost in the world. You're without roots and without means and without uh, a covering, right? Without an inheritance is something the Bible really talks about quite a bit. Or you're a slave, right? You think... You think that your actions and your loyalty uh, have earned you, should have earned you the respect of the Father, right? That you, you, you do what you do so that the Father will love you. And you think that the Father's love is contingent upon your performing or your performance of, of certain things, right? How well you do certain things. How loyal you are. And then you have son. A son is somebody who knows that there's no way to lose their identity, that their relationship with the with the father is solid because not because of their behavior, but because of who the father is. That's his nature. His nature is to forgive and to accept. And that as long as you want to be in the father's presence, he will have you. Right? And he will celebrate with you. And that's, that's the idea of a son, right? And so a lot of Christians are stuck in the slave mentality. They're still stuck in the uh, performance-based acceptance model. Uh, and even though they, you know, we give lip service to the idea of grace and mercy, really down deep we think that, that God's uh, favor is proportioned out 
more to those who are obedient servants of God, right? And so we work very hard to do this and to do that uh, out of obligation. And we think we deserve a certain status or uh, favors or uh, <clears throat> respect because of our performance record. But really, God has no slaves. He has only sons. Whether you know you are his son or not, uh, he sees you as his son or daughter. Sorry, we should be gender inclusive, I suppose. He has only children. Right? I've heard it said that God has no grandchildren, which is really interesting, too. I kind of like that concept. But we are all God's children. Right? He accepts us because of who he is. It's not based on what we do. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, it, it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful parable, right? Um, how we get, how we get to the point of understanding our own sonship is is really what the the walk with Christ is all about. It's walking from orphan or slave and into sonship and embracing sonship and and allowing God's embrace on us, right? Allowing him to to forgive us, right? Which means you know, in, on some level we have to forgive ourselves to realize that he forgives us and if he forgives us you know there's really nothing else we need to worry about right that's it's nothing else that really matters besides that if he accepts us um, what are we worried about one way Paul says that is if God is for us who can be against us right and I think the the thing that I've learned is that God is for everybody. He's for everybody. He's on everybody's side. And there's nothing you can do to get yourself in his doghouse, right? It's just not possible. He doesn't have a doghouse. What we can do is figure out a way to lean into and accept more and more uh, in more and more concrete ways accept the forgiveness that he's offered us accept the status as son right believe that he knows what he's doing believe in our own value because he values us not because of who we are or what we've done but because of his very nature you're okay right you don't need to worry about that part um now, it's easy to say and hard to do, and I realize that. My wife loves to say that. Easy to say, hard to do. It's one of her favorite things to say. Uh, which is so true. 
But I think one good step is just to acknowledge that God loves you completely. He can't love you any more than he does in this moment. Uh, and he's loved you the same amount in every moment of your life. From the worst moment to the best moment, it hasn't changed God's love for you. And that's good news, right? That that's that's the real gospel. That's that's down to the nitty-gritty. Right there. That's the real gospel. Yeah, sorry, just lost in thought for a minute. It is raining hard. Um, yeah, so my little brothers come home, and and uh, there's going to be some um, prodigal son slash older son slash uh, father dynamics going on about how we accept him. Uh, and how we allow him to move forward with us, right? As a family member who's returning to us. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, and I, I had a great talk with him today. He, he was discipled while he was in prison. It's the best way I can say it, I think. He... He, he found Christ. Christ met him, I think, for the first real time while he was in prison. And he um, has matured and progressed uh, in amazing ways while he was there to the point where he really wants to go into ministry now uh, and to, um, yeah, just... Um, use his life to help other people as much as he can. He's still got a still got a long road, right? Uh, society is going to treat him in different ways uh, because of his background. Um, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but God has prepared him uh, in the last 8 to 10 years for what he is about to uh, experience um, and I think he's going to be ready uh, I think uh, I, I hope and pray uh, that uh, he gets through this uh, and is able to get to uh, a, a comfortable and happy place with who he is and who he is in the world and so far it seems like he has done that Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right there for today. <clears throat> I'm just about home anyway, uh, and I really don't have much more to say about that. Um, but I do encourage you uh, to maybe read through 
this parable and uh, to see it and experience it perhaps in ways that you haven't uh, before. Uh, it's incredibly deep and dense, as I've said, uh, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Thanks for listening, guys, all the time, and uh, you guys have a great day. Bye-bye.